Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 26 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 26, we are going to be talking about uh, the wonderful district meet number one that recently took place at EBC. Scott has some stats and other results to go through uh, regarding that meet, which was an enormous amount of fun. We can talk about some of the things that went well and some of the struggles that we had, at least from the perspective of the officials, uh, in terms of how the meet progressed, although it was a fantastic meet for a number of reasons. We're going to be going through our material review, again, continuing with John in chapters six and seven in this particular episode. And then we've got a fascinating topic uh, covering the role of the interrogative word in quizzing, which may result in people disagreeing with us. And if that happens to be you, we would like to hear from you very much. So you can email us always at iq at cbqz.org. We're going to be talking about pronoun clarifications a bit and a couple of other questions and miscellaneous sorts of things there and wrap up with at least one and possibly two questions that came in from listeners. So pretty interesting and packed show. But with that, let's uh, start things off and talk about District Meet 1. So Scott, what were, how did things go? Meet 1 went really well. And I have some stats, oddities is not the right word, but some stats, nuggets of interest from the first meet. So we had some high individual scores, but we didn't have any super, super high individual scores. The highest one was 85.56. So we didn't have any 88.75, 90, 87.5, that would be of note. Um, We did have one rookie, Jacob, from EBC, who far outpaced all the other rookies and did very well in semifinals, which is awesome to see. It was clear that he knew the material well. Yay. Um, What else? Let's see here. We had an all-Alliance Bible Church final. Three of their teams were in finals, so it probably felt just like a practice to them as they fought it out. Um, some stats from the, some more stats from the meet. Let's see. The best accuracy from a quizzer was, uh, Emily from Lighthouse got nine correct and none wrong. And there were a handful of other quizzers who got a few correct without any wrong. Um, Hatien from ABC was a third person bonus six times, which is awesome. Wow. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. In 10 quizzes. And it's a really cool thing when you're able to be a third or fourth person bonus for your team. So even studying a little bit can really um, get you able to get questions frequently enough to be that third or fourth person bonus. And it's a huge boost to your team. We had six quizzers quiz out in every single prelim. Katie from Lighthouse, and then Abigail, Andrew, Samuel, and Michael from ABC and Aiden from Christ Central all quizzed out in every single prelim. Um, and then Andrew from ABC quizzed out in the highest percentage of his quizzes, 90.91%. So 10 out of 11 quizzes. Aiden and Lindsay from Lighthouse quizzed out in nine of their 10 quizzes. Also very, very strong. Looking at just semifinals, because that's really, really difficult quizzing, Jacob got 12 right and only two wrong. He had a very, very high accuracy among the quizzers that won a lot of jumps. That's very impressive. In Consolation A, looks like Steven got 19 right and one wrong. Uh, Lindsay got 16 right and one wrong, so really good job for both of them. And then finally, Con B, 
Yael got 12 right and none wrong in her three Con B quizzes. So three 90s in her quizzes. Pretty cool. Very awesome. Very awesome. So these are stats that I just I keep for a few reasons. One, I'm just interested in stats at this detailed level. But also, it helps me check the work that the scorekeepers and the statistician do so that if there are any small errors, I can correct those after the meet has happened so that all the individuals get the exact credit that they should for their quizzing. But if any coaches are interested in this this sort of slicing and dicing, I am happy to help provide that. If you're curious if your teams do better with one quiz master versus another, or um, if your quizzers are quizzing out very fast in a quiz or relative to other teams, or just really any kind of question you have, I have it at the quizzer quiz level. I don't have it at the quizzer quiz question level. So I don't know what, what happened on an individual question. Um, I don't know what question types quizzers get most often, although... That might be a feature of CBQZ at some point in the future. Yep, it will be. In fact, actually, CBQZ captures all that data. Even now, uh, it captures all that data, but we are not 100% accurate on all of it uh, in terms of, you know, not every room in every quiz was making sure that everybody's registration was into the system appropriately before they started a quiz and... I can't say with 100% certainty that the data was captured perfectly accurately across all the quizzes uh, in CBQZ, but that is a, that's a goal that we're working toward uh, so that uh, in, at some point in the future, hopefully not too far in the future, you could actually say, yeah, given, you know, quizzer number four, uh, how are they doing with multiple answer questions versus reference questions versus, you know, standard interrogatives and actually be able to see that, you know, from meet to meet, quiz to quiz, room to room. That's awesome. That's kind of the conclusion of my stats findings from meet one. Um, but before we get to our next bit, Griffin, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about anything CBQZ related from meet one. As um, we did use it for district championships last year, but we're starting this year kind of anew and used CBQZ in all of our rooms. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been getting better and better. So this was the first district meet, uh, official meet, and, and we used it at the scramble meet as almost like a practice run. And there were definitely some hiccups in getting it started and lessons learned. I think that was a little bit less of a set of issues this time around. I don't recall sprinting from room to room this time around trying to solve any problems. There were a couple of questions and a couple of things to make things a little bit better here and there. Uh, but otherwise, I think it, it it ran more smoothly than it did at Scramble, and it, and it wasn't terrible at, at, at the Scramble meet either. And one of the nice things that we did have was in room one, we had the automated scoreboard projected out uh, that, that gets fed through CBQZ. That, so that was kind of uh, nifty. There was a little bit of, of uh, some contention over that. Oh, that, that's right. That reminds me on Friday, uh, we had a quiz master who wasn't in room one who ended up registering within cbqz as room one and so scott of course was in room one as well and so up on his scoreboard that was projecting there was the sort of dueling quizzes like every you know every other question would be from say room one versus whatever other room it was kind of going flipping back and forth but we got that sorted out after i think the first quiz and and got that underway um 
And that, of course, stemmed a few, uh, you know, from, from, from each time we're using CBQZ in a meet, we're, we're coming back with, you know, five, six, seven little bugs or tweaks or feature improvements. And, and we're getting those incorporated into the software and, uh, iterating as we go. There is a new feature out there. I don't know how new it is. I think it was just new as of the EDC meet this, this last meet where, you know, if you're a coach, you can actually see on your cell phone. If you, you can get yourself a CBQZ uh, account, log in via your cell phone and you can see all four rooms. Or if we're using five rooms, you can see all five rooms and see the status of every quiz in every room you can see the number the quiz number they're on the question number you know if they're taking a break or not if they're close to finishing up a quiz whatever you can see the teams that are that are in in each of the rooms you can see the scores that are happening in each of the room you can see that all on your cell phone uh as you're wandering around the church so that can be uh pretty helpful and of course i say coaches but really quizzers a lot of quizzers have cell phones too and of course uh, their cell phones are you know, able to do that as well. So, I mean, as a, as a, as a coach or as a captain or as a co-captain, you can use CBQZ to sort of track what's going on in the, in the whole of the quiz meet, uh, when you're saying one part of the building versus another. So that's pretty cool. I love the scoreboard. And in past years, we've had to do a lot of frantic work right before the meet starts to, to see if we even have a scoreboard because of the specific limitations we had in projecting it and the way church projectors are usually set up. But this way is very, very simple. We can use a church's computer, and as long as it's connected to the internet, throw the scoreboard up there and just leave it. Um, and it's it's awesome. And the, the scoreboard, quote-unquote, view that shows all the quiz rooms is awesome for someone like me, who, like, I'm interested in where is maybe a team that I'm waiting on for a quiz, then I can hop in there and see, oh, they're on question 18. They should be coming over shortly. Or their quiz finished seven minutes ago. They should be here. And I think that kind of um, information that's right there is awesome for quiz masters, meet directors, coaches, and quizzers alike. Yeah. Well, I had a very interesting experience at the EBC meet. Uh, This is probably ridicule worthy, um, so feel free to do so. But uh, I ran my first set of quizzes using the, um, I don't know what, what it's called, but it's basically the, the, it's, it's the electronic system that it has, it's, it's, it's not a puck, but it's like a full board electric system, the Acme system that has all the beeps and the, you know, extra the console, the console. Right, right. Um, and I ran, I think four or five quizzes using the console and I don't ever want to have to do that again. Um, but fortunately, it turns out I probably won't have to. Yes, we are definitely moving away from Acme equipment to quiz time. And we had bought one room's worth of pads and console from quiz time when we used that at one room in um, in our room number four at our first meet. And then we moved it to room number one once room number four concluded. And it was awesome. Um, we'll definitely have to see about the durability as time goes on. But... Through one meet, it is perfect. Um, the console is well made, easy to use, super clear. And um, at, when the meet was done, we quickly placed an order for three more, um, so that we could r- run quiz time in all of our rooms. And um, we're excited to do that for the upcoming meet and all the meets going forward. And the only reason that would change is if our quiz bench gets fixed or the one quiz seat gets fixed, and then we can use benches in room one. But even if we're using benches in room one, we can still use the quiz time console, which is awesome. 
I am so incredibly excited about this um, for a number of reasons. I mean, it, it it's a simple system. It works. It's reliable. Uh, I mean, I love the idea of, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm old school. I like, you know, switches where there's a button that I can tactily feel. And when I put my finger on it, I don't have to look where my finger is. I can just feel where, where the button happens to be. And I can keep my eyes on, on either the quizzer or the question that I'm reciting. I love the fact that there's switches to turn on and off seats, uh, that they're just, it's, it's unambiguous. I just go click and there it is. I, I, but I think beyond all of that, because all of those things just make my life easier, which of course is the most important thing. But honestly, the, the thing that I like the most about the seats more than anything else is that the quizzers actually get to see their own light indication, uh, because they've got the, the set of, of, uh, LEDs on the front for the quizzers to be able to see, which is fantastic because when I say watch your lights, it can actually mean something. Uh, quizzers actually be, it can, it can have that sort of, uh, visual cue into what's going on with their seat, which makes them almost as, but not quite, but almost as good as the benches, because at least, you know, with the benches, you have the click, the feel of the bench and the sound of the bench when you're, when you're getting right up to the edge of that jump point. Uh, so at least with a, with the lights there, there's some visual indication so that right before the question is called, a quizzer can get situated in, 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 in a strategic position to get a very quick jump. I just, I love these new systems. I'm so excited that we're going to see them in all the rooms. They're wonderful. I was definitely excited when, um, I saw that Acme had a software component that allowed you to just have the lights on your computer screen because my questions were on a computer screen, and so I could orient the light right next to my questions, um, which was awesome. And so, like, by having the lights not right on your computer screen, there is some amount of work that the Quizmaster has to do to either get the question in their memory when they're going to read it or kind of do a look-back-and-forth kind of dance. Um, But I think that that is a small, small amount of work for the unflinching reliability of the quiz time system. And it's, um, I keep in touch with a few other district coordinators and they had had problems with their equipment and ended up buying quiz time. And so I asked them for what their thoughts and reviews were. And the equipment came super highly recommended. And perhaps the greatest review is I believe quiz time made those big hulking red boxes where, um, the console was the carrying case, um, from back in the day. And we still have churches, um, using those lights that are decades old and still working just fine. Yeah, I love that. That's why, you know, when you're talking about durability, if, if quiz times history, uh, if its legacy is, is, uh, anything, any indicator of its current situation, uh, I think our, our lights and our systems are going to be lasting for a long time. They are just, they are just bulletproof. Um, and I, I love that. I love not having to worry that, that there's something wrong with the equipment. Um, it, it lets me focus on, on making sure that I'm quiz mastering most effectively. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that we're going to have the same equipment in all four rooms. I didn't like having, um, some Acme, some quiz time at this last meet because it, there might be some adjustment that quizzers have to do. And maybe some teams have more quizzes in one, one room versus another. And I'm very concerned about equity in, in the quizzing setup, but, um, now it's going to be very, very similar in all the rooms. Yeah, that's just fantastic. Well, so we did learn some things from the EBC meet. Um, 
not all of them were great. We actually sort of discovered a need that we need to request quizzers do uh, in the upcoming meets. Uh, this is not so much an issue in rooms two, three, four, five, but it is potentially a very big issue in room one. Uh, we need kids to come up to the microphone uh, to be able to, you know, for us to be able to, to hear everything that they're saying. I don't think it turned out to be too big of an issue in terms of like, I don't think we, I don't think there was a time, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. There wasn't a time when we had to count somebody incorrect because we couldn't hear them, but there were definitely times where we had to ask kids to repeat themselves, right? Yeah, there, there definitely were times. And I think we're wanting this for many reasons because, I mean, the rule book just says that quizzers have to make themselves heard, right? Which is kind of a low standard because oftentimes the quiz master is very close to them and listening carefully and often has a recording device. But I think as time moves on, we're seeing that we need to raise that bar and make sure that the quizzer um, is able to be easily heard by the quiz master, the other officials, the other quizzers on the stage, the coaches involved, and then the audience because quizzing is um, an event for everyone involved and um, I've heard from many, many audience members that they can never understand what the kids are saying, and it's hard to hear. And, I mean, we're speaking the Bible, and it would be great if um, the word is, is able to be heard by everyone. So we're definitely thinking about, um, I mean, we're absolutely requesting that quizzers come to the mic and speak at a good, good rate and clearly, um, and that's going to maximize your chances of being counted correct. Um, but as time goes on, we, we may... Um, kind of have a local PNW rule requiring quizzers to speak um, within a certain area close to the mic or the official stable, which if that's the route that we end up going, it'll be very clearly defined. It will be very objective <laughs> and it, it won't be just some generally come towards the official's table type type talking. Yeah, definitely obvious boundaries be inside the boundaries or we'll count you wrong or something. Um, and certainly we don't want to do that. We don't want to be draconian. We don't want to count people wrong just because they're, you know, on a some sort of technicality. But really, quizzing is about technicalities, uh, and it's about managing those technicalities. Uh, even though they're not important in and of themselves, they bring about the thing that is important, uh, having a fair, equitable competition that's encouraging everybody to memorize God's word. And so, you know, that's that's where... We might be leaning, but hopefully we don't have to go there. If people can just remember to get towards the microphone, speak loudly, uh, it would be very helpful, especially for people who are older uh, in age like myself and my hearing is going and I, you know, I might say, get off my lawn and speak up because I can't hear you, Sonny. Um, these sorts of things happen. <laughs> and uh, so it would be nice to be able to count people correct. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoy counting people correct. I know Scott does as well. Yeah, and as a quiz master, I, I count it as my responsibility to listen as hard as I can because I want to count quizzers right when they do know the material. Uh, but I know that when a quizzer comes along who quotes, you know, it's often a key verse quizzer, but who quotes at a um, very moderate rate and very clearly, it's almost like, like a breath, like I can just sigh, like it's, you know, um, sunshine came out for a second. Um, and so it's a good exhortation to all of the quizzers to speak very clearly. And there's not really a way, I, I couldn't think of a way to 
game quizzing based on how loud you're talking because you have to make yourself heard to be to say something that's going to count you correct. And so unless you know for a fact that something you're about to say is incorrect, um, there's really no benefit to talking quietly sometimes and louder other times. You just need to say what you're going to say, and that's going to give you the best chance to be counted correct. And similarly, um, once you start answering a question, just keep saying stuff from there. Like once you've started answering a question, you've already put yourself in a context. Um, and so um, there's nothing to be gained from staying silent. You just want to keep answering as long as you stay in that same context that you've picked. I think this is kind of a very similar thing, you know? Um, you want to make yourself heard all the time. And once you've picked a context to answer from, say a lot of stuff from that context and always be saying stuff until the quizzer, quiz master says you're correct or until your time runs out. Right. And I mean, there were, there were, that reminds me, there were more than in one, more than one quiz, there were more than one quizzer who would jump or, or get called on a jump. They would try answering. They'd get a few words out. They might even be in context, but then they, they didn't have enough. And so they would just sit back down. They would give up. I, I mean, unless you were absolutely confident that you're nowhere close to being correct and you have absolutely no clue, like just keep trying. Um, don't, don't go up to the mic and just stand there and don't say anything. Keep trying, right? You're not wrong until the quiz master says you're wrong or your time goes out. Right. Um, and so like, like if you go up there and you have a choice between, well, I've said some things, maybe I'm right enough. I'll just be quiet versus, well, I'll keep providing additional material and maybe I'll get closer. Even if you start saying things that are wrong, if what you said before that decision point is right, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to count you right. Um, but if it's not enough and, and you needed that more material, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, you, you have to provide at least something to, to, to the answer, right? So you're, so by, by continuing to answer, you are not harming yourself. The worst that's going to happen is you'll say something that, that is like you weren't right enough and then you'll end up getting out of context or something and the quiz master will count you incorrect. That's the worst that's going to happen, but that's no worse than what was going to happen anyway. Right. You were you were you were either not correct enough and your time ran out and there's no way around it. Or there's the upside of the chance that you end up getting yourself correct enough to be able to be called correct. Right. Um, so in, in other words, I'm saying something very inarticulately. Bottom line, there's no negative to continuing to try to answer. So don't stop. Right. Just keep trying. And by speaking very loudly and clearly while you answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not confident in your answer, that's okay. Still just speak it loudly because like, if we can't hear your answer, it, it might actually, if you're not confident in your answer, your answer might actually be good enough to be able to be counted correct. But if you don't say it loud enough, the only thing that we can do is say, like, say it again, like I can't hear you. Right. Um, so again, the, the worst that's going to happen is the same as, not saying anything or speaking it too quietly. Uh, so all there is is upside potential. So go after the upside potential. Yep. There's the saying in sports that is almost always helpful. And it's, you know, 100% of the shots you don't take don't go in. 100% of the um, golf putts that are left short don't go in. And you could apply it to quizzing too and say 100% of the questions that you don't answer, you get wrong. And so um, give it your best shot and give material that, um, you, th you know, that is your best 
bet at getting the question right based on however much you know. And it's on the Quizmaster to, um, I mean, like, no one's going to make fun of you if you say something that is obviously wrong. But, um, but you know, give it your best shot, and um, you will get counted right in situations where you didn't expect to. And that's always kind of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, shall we, uh, shall we get into Chapter 6 and 7? Yeah, absolutely. Shall I lead it off? Yeah, go for it. So Chapter 6 is humongous. It is 71 verses. Um, and I had a list of things. So uh, from Chapter 6, it generally looks not so unique, um, especially the last bit. You know, once you hit verse 29... There's not a whole lot of unique words. And so that means a lot of things. It means there could be a lot of reference questions in there if you're interested in that kind of thing. It could mean that there's a lot of material that is similar to other material in John, and that can be confusing. And so I strongly encourage you to make sure you know, like if you're choosing to memorize any portion of Chapter 6, make sure you know it really well. Um I delighted in the material that was very similar to other material um, in the same book because I knew that other quizzers may get confused and may mix the two of them up. And so I always wanted to work extra, extra hard so that I was always quoting from the correct context. And it, it takes extra work, but you definitely get the gain out of it. But I made a list of words, and I'm going to tweet these out at the PNW Quizzing Twitter account uh, in in the upcoming days, but take a look at the unique words in chapter six and ask yourself, do I think an interrogative or a multiple answer question can be written where this unique word is right at the front, either in the first word or the second word, you know, words like test and half and small and grass, just kind of look through them and say, how would I form a question here? And that exercise is very helpful because there are going to be unique words that you really can't write a question about. Like, um, it's hard to find one now. Like rough at the end of verse 18, the waters grew rough. Well, you can't write a question based on rough. You can't write what rough or rough what. Um, I guess you could write rough what, but that'd be kind of tricky. Um, and so you don't have to be pre- be prepared for a, a question that, that has that word at the front. So you're kind of just preparing your mind, um, as opposed to, say, strong at the beginning of verse 18, a strong what or a strong wind was what. And so you're just kind of like, oh, if I hear a strong, well, maybe I've kind of thought about this question before and this one jumps to my mind. And you're, you're setting yourself up for success by ruminating on the, the unique words that could be the basis for really good questions. Um, you could go through chapter 6 and make a list of all the people. Starting out in verse 1, there's Jesus. Um, verse 2, there's a great crowd of people. Uh, you could consider the sick to be part of, or a person, at the end of verse 2. Um, and of verse 3, the disciples, his disciples. And so just kind of making that list is another way for your brain to read through the material and kind of find these little footholds or hooks to remember it. Because if you come to quote it, maybe it's a situation question, and then you, your mind remembers, oh, that's right, Jesus was talking to his disciples at the beginning of chapter 6. Or um, at the end of 6, he, he started talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. What else? 
Any thoughts, Griffin, before I, I have a few kind of very specific things? Well, so on from a general perspective, there were a couple of things that struck me, just like what you were talking about. Like there's, uh, you know, maybe two parts to chapter six. The first half has an average amount of unique words, call it, although there's a cluster around 18, 19, 21, that kind of thing. And then it kind of thins out a little bit. So again, like just like what you're saying, making lists is a really good idea. Uh, the other thing that kind of jumped out at me is there's a disproportionately few, it feels like to me, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it feels like there's a disproportionately fewer number of key verses uh, relative to other chapters. And so, you know, you want to think through the implications of what that means. Like, are you a key verse specialist or not? Are there people on your team who are uh, relative to you either being or not being? Uh, what about other teams that you're facing? And depending upon that strategy might indicate what, you know, what level of focus you put in on chapter six. So for example, if I'm not a Kiefer specialist and I know that there are, you know, say a handful of Kiefer specialists across the district, I can get an edge on them by really focusing a lot of attention on chapter six because they're going to be a little bit weaker on six relative to the average. So if I put a little extra work on six, I can gain a small advantage when competing against people who in other cases and other contexts might be lightning fast and I might struggle with them. Uh, so there's something to think about there. The other thing that, that kind of struck me about chapter six, and I think this actually applies to a lot of other chapters, but for whatever reason, probably because I'm not very smart, it didn't occur to me until I started reading through chapter six is all of this sort of I, I guess you could say locations of things, but it's more than locations. It's sort of like locations and nouns and stuff. And it's almost like, I almost wonder by, I'm almost wondering if it would be useful from a study perspective to put together kind of like a, almost like a positional heat map, um, so to speak, or, or mind map or something along the lines of, uh, you know, like, like I'll give you an example, right? So verse 24. Uh, Capernaum is a, is a location, right? And it's mentioned in a few other places. In 17, there's, there's Capernaum. Uh, you know, 6-3, we're talking about a mountainside, right? Uh, and then the Jewish Passover festival, that's, you know, that's an event, not so much a place, but we can conceptually think of it as, as, as a place. And I almost want to like build a map of like, okay, here's a countryside. Here's a festival. Here's Capernaum. Here's the opposite shore, you know, say from verse 22, these sorts of things. And I find that stuff like maybe that can help me get through some of this material and memorize it a little bit better. I, yeah, absolutely. It's just ways for your brain to find interesting things, which is going to, make it easier for your brain to retain it. You could pull out a concordance and say, how many times does Capernaum occur in uh, John? You know, it's, it's going to be less frequently than Jerusalem. Um, and it'll just help you remember passages of material. It'll help you be smarter when you're answering stuff that you don't know fully. Um, I remember, I don't know what, what the situation was, if I was a quizzer or um, at, at the scramble meet or something, but I was answering a... Um, a situation, or I think it was an interrogative question where I had answered she as part of the answer and needed to clarify the pronoun. Well, there's a lot more men in the Bible than women. And so my mind was like, well, I don't know who this she is, but let me try to think because I've got a better shot <laughs> at guessing it because there are um, 
a lot fewer women. And I believe the material was Matthew, and so I guessed Mary, and I was right. And so just kind of by having a sense of, oh, you know, in this these few chapters, the disciples are featured frequently, and in this set of the chapters, they're not. Just um, if you know those sorts of things, it'll help you make smart guesses. Um, I had a very specific question on verse 16, Griffin, and I'm interested in your thoughts. So I could write the chapter verse reference from John 6.16, his disciples, what, went down to the lake. And my question is, is it misleading? Because when you take verse 17 into account, this is really a multiple answer question because the disciples went down to the lake and then they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But for a chapter verse reference, the context is the verse. And so I guess my question is, from a question writer perspective, do you limit your scope to just the context that you can, or do you consider a larger context when determining how tricky or not tricky or flowing or non-flowing a question might be? So there's my bias, and then there's the... So, well, maybe not bias isn't the right word. There's the way I want things to be, and then the way things actually are. And so... and. So ultimately, I have to do the way things actually are, as opposed to stomping my feet and making the world change to be the way I think things ought to be. Because the way I think things ought to be is uh, the less interpretation, the better. The less ability, or not ability, the less freedom we give to question writers to interpret whether something spans verses, the better. So I would be very much in favor of the the concept of saying nothing ever flows beyond one verse, ever, right? Um, now, of course, there's exceptions to that, obviously, quote these two verses, finish this in the next verse. There's There's things where it explicitly cascades into a second verse there are situation questions which just muddy up the waters all over the place but the, you know when it comes to say interrogatives or chapter references chapter verse references certainly chapter verse references uh or or when it comes to standard interrogatives i like the philosophy of saying you're only you only care about the one verse you're in and you know there is no interpretation because interpretation uh, leads to the possibility of there being ambiguity. That's sort of the way I would like the world to be. Uh, and if we are going off of the way I would like the world to be, then, then yeah, his disciples is completely fine, went down to the lake, that's it, you're done, no problem. But the problem is the world is not, <laughs> the world is not thus. Um, the, the world is instead, uh, much more, you know, the, the context does actually matter. And so in this case, you're like, yeah, it, a chapter verse reference specifically should put you into 16, which means you should end at the lake. But obviously we're talking about two parts. The second part spans into 17. For that reason, it can't be a chapter verse reference. Uh, and so, you know, it, it can't be a multiple answer chapter verse reference. Therefore, I would probably err on the side of not writing the question. Yeah, that was where I went to. Um, I th I think in general, the argument of um, you can write this a different way um, is kind of a almost a cop-out argument, even though it's true in certain cases, right? Like maybe there's a different form of a reference question that will test this material or a different question type or... Um, a different way that the question starts. And that's true. Like, we're trying to find really, really good questions. But um, I do find it interesting to discuss these sort certain scenarios 
um, because they can occur in other places, and you want to have an idea of what's your standard for good when you're writing questions. Um, and then I had another thing for quizzers. There are a few finish this questions in Chapter 6, and one thing that I think is smart, especially if you're a keyverse quizzer, is make a list of the finish this and the finish this in the next questions for meet two. So that would be, um, I believe, eight chapters. So look at the finish this and the finish this in the next questions among the first eight chapters. And then look at how they start and then order them alphabetically. And then you, what you want to do is look down and see, are there any questions that are both finish this questions that start with the same word? Like maybe they both start with the, or they both start with Jesus. Um, or maybe they don't start with the same exact word, but they start with the same kind of mouth shape, like the and therefore, or there. Because ultimately what you're decide, what you're trying to figure out is, if I were a computer, um, and let's say I jumped on a finish this at one syllable, and I'm a computer, and I know all the finish this question. Is one syllable enough that I would get every single one of them right? Um, and early in the year, the the speed that you can jump on a very specific question type like finish this questions could be one syllable, or it could be something even faster, like a quarter of a syllable. And if you know that, um, it's very rare to see quizzers jump faster than two syllables on pretty much anything any situation or scenario, um, any question type, at a district meet, it's just rare to see. But if you know, hey, there's 11 finish this questions for the second meet, and I can jump at a half syllable, and if I've studied well, and if I've studied to the point that I'm kind of like a computer when it comes to finish this questions, then I can get them all right. I think you get a massive um, advantage over your opponents um, who maybe are jumping on finish this questions at the same speed that they would jump on finish the verse questions and there's probably 10 times as many finish the verse questions and so a computer would have to jump much slower on finish the verse question to be assured of getting them right and so just kind of doing that with finish this questions can really give you an advantage yeah, absolutely. Well, by the way, speaking of computers, your answer is five. Uh, you were asking how many times Capernaum shows up in John. Uh, it shows up in chapters two and four once each, and then three times in chapter six. And then if I'm looking up Capernaum, I might look up other places that sound similar, like Cana. They both start with C-A, and see how many times Cana appears, and then just make sure that I'm not mixing them up ever, you know? Um it's probably, you're not going to miss a, mix up Capernaum and Galilee or something like that. But Capernaum and Cana, you know, it's harder for your brain to place them specifically. Um, but if you spend some time with the concordance or the reference material that's in CBQZ, um, you can very quickly search anything you want and see how many times it occurs. Um, it'll help set it out in your mind where it is. And then even like for, like Capernaum's not a great example but you could see, can I make really cool reference questions based off of a word? So for Capernaum, you can't really. Um, to Capernaum, for Capernaum, at Capernaum, in Capernaum, um, went down to Capernaum, went to Capernaum. There's not really went down to and went to Capernaum are the closest that could be a reference question, but you really can't make one there. But maybe you find something super cool, like who went to Capernaum is a great chapter reference question. And I would just do that sometimes where I would look up, I would see a word that um, like immediately 
and it was in red. And I'm like, huh, I wonder how many times this appears in the material. And I would search it and see, oh, immediately they what? Or immediately he went where? Those could be totally reference questions and just kind of familiarize myself with them. Very cool. All right. Well, what are your thoughts on Chapter 7? Chapter 7, I don't have as many specific things, but it's 53 verses, so a little bit shorter. Um, but it kind of follows a similar pattern to Chapter 6 in that there's a decent amount of unique words in the first half of the chapter and a lot less at the back half of the chapter. Um, there also seems to be not a ton of key verses. So um, if you remember last time we recorded a podcast, there was a very short chapter that had a ton of key verses. And so we said, hey, if you're a key verse quizzer and you're only memorizing the key verses, you could actually memorize this whole chapter and it wouldn't be a ton of extra work. And then you'd get a little taste of what it's like to know the whole material um, for just that chapter. And then as Griffin was saying about chapter six, it had very few key verses. So if you're not a key verse quizzer, maybe you want to memorize chapter six um, because it, because the key verse quizzers are going to largely not know any of it. Well, chapter seven is kind of in the same boat. And so you can be very strategic about which parts of the material you want to memorize if you're not going to memorize the whole material. And John is a massive, massive material. I don't know what the percentage of quizzers across CMA Bible quizzing is that memorize the whole material, but it's it's got to be 10% or less. And so, like in our district, we've got 100 quizzers. There, there may be 10, maybe 15 quizzers that memorize the whole material. Um, and I think oftentimes that's surprising to quizzers. I remember talking to a family once who just assumed that everyone in Bible quizzing memorized the whole material. And because of that, they viewed Bible quizzing as too big of a commitment for their kids who were involved in other stuff. <laughs> and I had to tell them, I was like, of a minority of the participating quizzers memorize the whole material. Um, there's a large amount to memorize a handful of verses only. And so as a quizzer who's probably not memorizing the whole material, you're, you're not alone. But if you pick a chapter like seven, that's um, kind of at the end of the newer material. So it's what people might get to kind of last. Um, it doesn't have a whole lot of key verses, so you're not going to have to fight with all the key verse quizzers for questions in this chapter. It could be a really cool one for you to memorize. Yep, yep. A couple of things that jump out at me are, um, you know, take a look at it, the the few key verses that are part of this chapter in particular. There's to finish this and the nexts, to finish this and the next C, nexa. I don't know. How would you conjugate that? But anyway, um, verses 16 and 17 and then verses 28 and 29. Uh, even if you're not a Kiever specialist, you want to devote some attention to those verses uh, because you never know. You could be in a quiz when that comes up. And uh, if, you, if you're focused on that, if you hear finish this in the next verse, it's uh, an opportunity to be like, hey, if I've got those memorized, uh, there's not that many of them. Uh, I can super jump on those things. And uh, there's a good opportunity there for you to be able to get those questions. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you've got to go, you know, verses, both, both verses together, and they've got to be word perfect, perfect, but you can do that. Um, it's, it's completely achievable. Uh, it just takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of practice, and, and you can park those away and, and actually uh, make some great progress there. Uh, there's a clustering. You can see this in CBQZ and other places that have the marked up the material in terms of, of uniqueness of words. There's a clustering of unique words around, call it verse 21 through 26 or so. Uh, but other than that, then you get kind of like what we were talking about before, kind of a, the, the second half of the chapter tends to be not as unique. Uh, so keep that in mind. 
And then similar to chapter six, uh, chapter seven does have locations. Uh, Jerusalem shows up. Um, there's also times. Um, uh, so in, in verse two, there's the Jewish festival of tabernacles, which, you know, you can think of that as a festival, a place, but it's, it, it's also a time. It turns out that that's typically in October. It's typically in like early October. Uh, so like maybe about four weeks ago or something like that. Um, sometimes it can be in late September, but it's typically in early October. That's sort of the time frame of this festival of tabernacles. So when you're, when you're, I don't know, when you're, when you're memorizing here, you know, and you're starting off in verse one and two and three and working your way down, you sort of kind of conceptualize or imagine what would life be like in early to mid October, uh, within the, the context of, of what's going on in the places and, and people and so forth. Uh, it's just sort of another way of, of thinking, what do the trees look like? What does the ground look like? And the more real you can make that in your head, I think the easier it is to sort of place a lot of these words. And then, of course, the words are more, become more than just words. They're, they're part of the narrative and part of the gospel that, that you're burying in there in your head as well. And I think that can work out to be a very good thing. Yeah. When I studied, I did a lot of things in a very low key or casual way. And, a common question is, how should I memorize, or what is the best way to memorize? And there's not really a best way. Um, people are very, very individual in the way that words and um, things make most sense to them. But as you can see from the ways Griffin and I talk about the material, there's m many different ways to be curious about it, and that's going to help you remember it. So whether you're trying to find every situation question, looking for all the quotations, or you're interested in the places or the people or where the unique words are or um, the verses that um, look to be the longest, they're on two, three, four lines, or the verses that are barely a half line. Like you're just kind of looking for things that pique your interest, and those are absolutely going to be the things that you remember. When I quizzed, I spent days just doing things like looking for multiple answer reference questions, writing unique words on a sixth of a uh, note card, three by five card, um, listening to the material from a CD and all this stuff. And then it was only periodically where I would say, okay, how much of this can I quote? Um, and how much of it, this do I think I have memorized? But I spent a lot of time just kind of doing stuff and things. And I think that's awesome, right? Just Read it. Um, listen to someone else read it. Talk about, you know, as Griffin said, what would it have been like to be at this festival in early October in this time? Um, and all of those things will familiarize the material to you, and they will make it more memorable and easier to memorize. And so um, don't act, don't expect there to be this one key way to memorize, but just be curious and try different things, and um, it'll help your brain remember it and it'll be a skill that is going to be useful for the rest of your life for things that you need to remember, things that you need to learn. You're going to have to be curious and you're going to have to deal with it in different ways, either reading it, speaking it, um, touching stuff with your hands, right? Some people are very tactile when they're learning. Some people need to be moving when they're learning and memorizing and just kind of experiment and do different things. All right. Very cool. Well, let's move on here. We've uh, only got about 10 minutes left in our show, but uh, so we're not going to be able to get through everything. But let's talk a bit about the role of the interrogative word in quizzing. Cool. So my question is, like, quizzing is based on the material, right? There's a, a material. We know what it is. It's finite. 
Um, and we write questions based on this material. And at most, we add one word to a question that is not in the material. And there's only six or seven variants of that word. So the interrogative words, who, what, whom, why, where. Um, and so these interrogative words are kind of necessary to ask questions in the way that we want to ask them. But they're not really the point, right? We're, we're just curious. We're mainly curious about what the quizzers, like, do they know the material? Can they repeat it to us back based on the information that they're given? But then there are cases where the interrogative word carries meaning because we're English speakers. And um, if we're asking, you know, Jesus went up to Jerusalem, well, if given the choice, which question writers are, we're going to write who went up to Jerusalem. Well, now, who is kind of a part of the pseudo-material? Because when a quizzer hears who, their mind immediately jumps to, I'm going to answer this with a person. And so they're trusting that a question writer has used who and not like why went up to Jerusalem, where the answer would be Jesus, because that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, so the interrogative words kind of have some meaning, and it is important to use the ones that fit the best because quizzers kind of base their answering off of it. It's information to them. And then from the quizzer perspective, they have to give an interrogative word um, when they're forming questions and reference questions. And for the most part, quiz masters are making a judgment call as to whether that interrogative word that the quizzer uses is appropriate. Well, in a lot of ways, the importance of the interrogative word kind of keeps being subtly elevated. When at the end of the day, if there was a way to ask quiz questions and have quizzers provide reference questions and we don't really care about the interrogative word, I'm not sure if a ton would suffer. Um, and I'm just curious, Griffin, about your thoughts on the interplay and the importance of the interrogative word and it being like necessary to make quizzing happen, but also carrying some meaning and needing to use it correctly, and just all of those issues. Yeah, this is very similar to the, the previous question. I mean, there's the way I wish things were and the way they are. Um, this one's harder because I don't think the way I would like them to be is practically even possible. Um, but I'll start there. So the way I would like things to be is to have the interrogative be utterly and completely meaningless. Um, and in fact, like, like I would love a situation where we had a rule that just said thou shalt always use what as the one and only interrogative or something or, but not what, because what could be the beginning of actual material. So like, like thou shalt only use the word interrogative as interrogative, right? Um, or something along those, which is, is totally impractical and it would never happen because three syllables is, is awful. Um, but that idea of, of trying to remove it as a thing, right? Uh, to remove the variable, to only ever have people quizzing on the material that's actually in scripture and not anybody anybody trying to interpret it, anybody's meaning that's there. Uh, there's a, there's a person, uh, actually he's been on the podcast, so I can, I can use his name. So there's a person in, uh, uh, PNW Bible quizzing, uh, uh, Jeremy, who is very, very big into theology, which is awesome. I love it when everyone is very big into theology and he has very strong opinions about using who in reference to all three persons of the Trinity. And he's absolutely right. He is absolutely correct. Um, and as a theologian myself, a, Trinito a Trinitarian uh, theologian, 
for that matter. Uh, yes, it does, you know, make me cringe a little bit when the spirit, capital S, is referred to as a what. Uh, that, that does kind of, I kind of go, I don't, I don't really like it. Um, but in the context of quizzing, as much as I love theology and would like everybody to understand theology, I want to try to move as far away from, that's not the point of quizzing. I want people to memorize scripture and I trust the process of memorizing scripture and the spirit's work through the memorization of scripture to, to make that, make that a thing, to make that actually uh, edifying and useful for all people. So like, that's kind of where I, I lean towards, but I think in practicality, it would be too confusing and too bizarro to do anything other than what we're doing. The idea of saying, like, you know, if you're asking for a person, then yes, you should say who. If you're asking for a place, you you should say where, you know, these sorts of things. And then we just sort of have, and this is not the case right now, but I would love there to be this generally accepted agreement that if we can't quite make the inter interrogative work exactly right, uh, then then we all recognize that what is a generically acceptable interrogative that is sort of a stand-in for the word interrogative, you know, kind of stuff. Um, because, I mean, the thing is, like, I, I want to balance on the other end of the, ex of the extreme to be able to say, like, well, grammatically, it has to be exactly right. It's like, well, I'm, but we're not quizzing on grammar. We're quizzing on what's actually in scripture. And so... I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to count somebody incorrect because they, they, they said a where instead of a when or something like that. I mean, that's a, that's really, and that almost never happened, but you, you get what I'm trying to say, right? Like I wouldn't want to count somebody wrong because the interrogative was somehow wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I think in most cases, it's very obvious what the best interrogative word is and, um, you want the quizzer to be paying attention enough to give that word. But when they give one that's not right, part of me is always like, well, if they knew the material and they gave the rest of the quote-unquote question without the interrogative word correct as I needed it, it's like I'm counting them wrong on something that doesn't have to do with knowledge of the material, um, which is not what I want to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, like I keep going back to this idea and I floated the idea. I don't know if I floated it with you, but I floated this idea with other quizzers like way back in the day. Uh, the idea of saying worst case scenario, if a quizzer can quote the entire verse, let's say it's a one verse question, right? Not, not something that scrolls into two verses, but if a quizzer can quote word perfect, the verse that, that you're asking a question from, I shouldn't be allowed to count them wrong because like, like ultimately they are getting it correct. And the counter argument that I've, I've received from that is, but that will encourage really rapid jumping at the upper levels. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I get that, but it's really hard for me philosophically to count somebody wrong if they absolutely know the verse, like, like if they've got that material hardcore memorized, like, I just, I, I have a really, I struggle with counting them incorrect. Yeah, there was an idea that I don't know if it was more than just one person, which was to do away with context altogether and just say, like, if a, if a kid jumps on Jesus for, like, a finish the verse and can quote every verse that starts with Jesus, why would we not want to count them correct? And at the outset, I was like, that's a awful idea. Like, we want some sort of bounds on where the quizzers can jump to in their answering. But I, I do see some of the merit. Like, I think at the end of the day, we don't want to be quite that extreme. 
um, because I think the jumping would get very fast, especially at the upper levels. Um, but the principle of if they know the material well enough to get it right, um, to provide the correct material, um, I understand that. And I think that that, that applies here. And um, it shows where there's definitely some blurring of lines of what's the material and what's not. Because because we're writing questions um, that flow, like we want to write questions that are not awkward, well, the structure of the material makes um, is kind of an input when the quizzers are studying. They should say, well, I'm expecting a question to start this way and not this other way because this other way is super, super awkward and we don't talk like this in English and we'd never start a sentence here. Um, and so that's kind of part of the material but also kind of not part of the material. Um, and... I guess there's a limit to how far to take it, but I would be happy with some sort of um, compromise on interrogative words so I don't have to care too much. Um, as it is, I I try to give the quizzers as much benefit of the doubt as I can um, because if they get it close enough, as long as the interrogative word is not completely wrong, um, I'm totally going to give it to them. Yeah, totally. Makes sense. Well, let's see. Do we have time to hit pronoun clarifications? I think it, this one should be decently short. Yeah, let's do a decently short, and then we'll wrap up. So my first question is, well, if a, a written question has a pronoun that I think it's kind of on the question writer to say, this needs a clarification, um, and the quizzer says that pronoun, let's say it's she, well, then the quiz master says, can you clarify she? Well, we had a case at the last meet where a quizzer was answering a question and used a pronoun that worked more or less but wasn't in the material. So the material said, you know, when Jesus was with his disciples, and they, the quizzer said, when he was with his disciples. Um, and I didn't say, can you clarify he, even though I needed the word Jesus, because he is not actually in the text. And I don't think I can ask the quizzer. I don't think the quiz master should be expected to ask the quizzer to clarify a pronoun that the quizzer inserted into the material, even if the usage is appropriate. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. And so... I counted the quizzer wrong because the quizzer never said Jesus and then was challenged um, saying, well, I said he, and you should have said, can you clarify he if you needed me to clarify it to Jesus? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, see, this is the thing. I think the quizzer has some merit here because it would be, so I'm assuming it's a standard question. Yeah. And I, I don't think it would matter a ton if it was a interrogative multiple answer situation quotation, you know. Yeah, true, true, true. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think it, it, it would be. I'm trying to think of a different example, but like, um, yeah, I don't know that the 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 he. I don't know that the pronoun needs to be in context. I think at any particular time that that somebody is using a, a pronoun, if we ask them to, if, if they need, if we need the clarification for the answer, we, we, uh, we should be prompting. I'm, let me pull up the rule book and make sure I'm actually saying something correct. Um, before looking at the rule book, sort of my gut says that, that, yeah, we should, we should ask them to clarify, but let me make sure I, I have the rule book actually firmly in my mind. So what the rule book says is the quiz master must, this is under giving a prompt, um, if a quizzer has provided all of the information in the answer except the identification of a pronoun present, which is part of the answer, the quiz master will ask the quizzer to identify the specific pronoun. Mm -hmm. So I kind of lean on that, like saying this pronoun's not present. And then also the common sense part of me says, um, as a quiz master, just because a quizzer is using a pronoun, it's kind of tough for me to look it up 
see if it's an appropriate pronoun and then ask for the clarification kind of on the fly as opposed to it being printed as part of the question and answer on the card. Like she is in the answer. It's clarified to Mary and the quizzer needs to give that, you know? Yeah. Well, the thing though is here's the thing. If the quiz, I'll, I'll, I'll counter it with this. Let's say the, 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 the answer is Jesus and they say he, they're not, wrong but they're not right yet okay correct and so they still have time to be able to go back and 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 get get right enough right so they're just they're just not right enough yet right um however if the answer is jesus and they didn't say he but they instead said she they would be immediately incorrect but that's the other thing that i have a problem with so on your first point um, they're they're definitely not incorrect by saying he when they need Jesus. And at that point, I just say again. And I don't say, can you clarify he? Because it's not a pronoun that is present in the material. And so I just say again, because they need to fix something up. Um, but I definitely run into problems. Like, I understand if they say she and the answer is Jesus, well, it should be no different than if they said an actual proper noun like Mary. Um, but... There are many times in the material where something like a different um, – is it person of the pronoun? The I, you, he, she, it, we, you, they. So like if it's um, if it's a different gender, it's very clear. Um, but if it's us and um, we or you and them, like oftentimes if you take what the quizzer says and follow it through – what they said implies a completely different proper noun than the one you need or a completely different people. Um, but I tend to be fairly lenient on the use of the, those sorts of pronouns in answers. But I, I often don't know how far to take it. You know, like if um, the answer is Christ in us and they, and they say Christ in them, like how much is it on me to see like does them imply a different people and the direction of where Christ is that would actually be incorrect um, versus just letting them try to correct it to us? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, this is kind of the thing, though. I don't know that context really matters, right? Because like I'm looking at this thing, the the, the rule book is as you know. The, the version I'm looking at, you know, the 2017, if a quizzer has provided all the information in the answer except the identification of a pronoun present, which is part of the answer, right? So the fact that he is in context or not is irrelevant, right? But I don't think he is part of my answer. Jesus is. Sure, 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 sure. Right. But, but I guess like, fair enough. But let's say like, uh, this is a, I'm just writing something up on the fly, right? But let's say uh, chapter 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because blah, 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 right? And then him at the end. Um, so we've got Jesus and he, and let's say I could construct a verse or a question. Let's say I could construct a question where Jesus is the answer uh, and I'm only, and the, and the, the question only relates to the first sentence of verse one and has nothing whatsoever to do with verse two, but verse two is absolutely in context, right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that the word he exists in verse two is still irrelevant, right? So if, if a quizzer said he, uh, or sorry, they said who went around in Galilee and they said he, uh, you would, you could, you would say again, but you couldn't say, clarify he yeah at first i thought you disagreed but this seems to 
Like, I don't well, think context is any part of this. I agree. I don't think context has any part of it. And, and as a result, I'm struggling to see why I wouldn't ask. And that's the thing. Like, I think the way the rule is written, like, if I'm going absolutely by the letter of the rule, then it's like, yeah, I'm going to say again, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to say more. Um, I'm going to say again because I need the, I need the quizzer to replace he with Jesus. And I'm not going to ask them to clarify, even though I'm asking them to clarify. And it, to me, that seems like the rule, it seems swirly. Like I would want to change the rule on this one. I just think it's, I don't think it's tenable for a quiz master to have to um, make a judgment call while the clock is ticking for a pronoun that the quizzer has given um, if it needs clarifying when it's not a pronoun that ex- that exists verbatim on the card. You know, like if, you know, the 12 disciples are named, you know, the 12 disciples were there and they're all na- named out. And your question is who, who were there? And the quizzer just gets up and says, he, 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 and he were there. <laughs> right. You know, you're not going to, I don't think it's on the quiz master to like judge whether they said just he's and not like a she or a it or something. And then say, can you clarify he and he and he, you know, like, I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous example, but I don't like a time where the quiz master is making having to do determinations while the clock is ticking because some quiz masters might be able to immediately see like, Oh, it's Jesus. Of course. Can you clarify he, and then everything's fine. But if another quiz master takes five seconds or 10 seconds, then can a quizzer challenge that they weren't fast enough? Because at that point you're kind of expecting the, you to be prompted for the clarification. If there's ever a pronoun that needs clarification, whether or not that clarification was printed on the card, you know what I mean? Yeah, True. True. Because I also take the standpoint that if, like, maybe my question is, Jesus went to Galilee when? Um, and in the when, it says, like, when when they were near. Well, I often will not ask for the clarification when I'm writing a question. I will not say, can you clarify they when I'm writing it? Because I'm just kind of looking for when. And the they isn't as big a deal in this question. I just need the when. Um, and so if now I'm a quiz master presented with this question. I'm not on the fly going to make that call and say like, you know what? I kind of want them to clarify. They I'm going to ask for the clarification. I just kind of leave it as it is. Cause I think it's totally valid and clear and good and all that. And I think this is kind of a similar, similar ish thing. Like we don't know what a quizzer may answer and making the call of whether to ask them for their clarification when their time is ticking seems hard to me. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I'd have to think about this a little bit more. I'm still leaning towards, because I mean, I think this thing, I think, I think there are a lot of quiz masters who will, uh, ask for a pronoun. Even, I, I think, I think in my example of, of he went around in Galilee, they're going to say clarify he, uh, even though strictly according to the rule book, they wouldn't. So the worry then is because it is confusing, I think, to quiz masters. Uh, you're going to get a delta between quiz rooms within a quiz as a result of it. So I, I, that that leaves leaves me feeling kind of awkward about it. Sure, but I think if there's a current delta because of quizmasters quote unquote over asking for clarifications on pronouns, to me that's totally challengeable, and you're challenging it in kind of a good direction. Like the quizzer was counted correct at the default. I do, I hope you know in. Probably what that's what happened. And a quizzer is challenging saying, well, I don't think as a quiz master you can provide this clarification. I think you need to throw this one out and start over again. Whereas in my scenario, you could get a quizzer 
answering a question where Jesus is required. They insert the word he that's not in the material. The quiz master takes five, six, seven seconds to ask them for their clarification. Um, time runs out. The quizzers count it wrong. And then they have to challenge saying, like, I think you should have been faster with this. It seems like a, a much more subjective challenge where – and the default is that the quizzer was incorrect. Um, then, like, I'm fine with it now. Like, if a quiz happens, a quiz master – asks for a clarification, and no one cares enough to challenge it, I, I don't have a giant problem with it. I think I don't think that's an excuse for Quizmasters to not follow the rules, but I think the ability to challenge is always there <laughs> to take advantage yeah. of. And so I'm, I'm largely fine with it, you know? Like, I don't see it as this massive help. Um, it's not what I think the rulebook prescribes, and I want to hold pretty closely to that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's kind of random thoughts. <laughs> well, I definitely agree with you that your interpretation of the rule book is accurate. Um, I, I'm just, I'm uncomfortable with the rule book, I guess is where I'm coming down on it. Sure. And that makes sense. And I see it because we do need a clarification of a pronoun, but um, it's kind of like, how far do you want to take that? Um, because I mean, if a quizzer just generically says it or this, you know, are we going to say like, does that apply to a whole verse that I need answered? And it might. Can you clarify this? Meaning like a whole, you know, I just, I feel like it would be more subjective if we say that Quizmaster should be prompting clarifications for any pronoun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I kind of like the idea of doing away with prompting entirely. Um, I mean, it's kind of a more radical idea there, but I mean, do away with prompting at all other than saying correct or incorrect. Um, and I mean, then, then it is entirely the quizzer's responsibility and do that in t for, you know, finishing out uh, verse numbers on uh, quote questions and, uh, and, and supplying questions on reference questions, right? Like have that be, have that burden be entirely on the quizzer because then the de the Delta between rooms is not, is is zero right because then it i mean it's entirely based on the quiz master hearing what needs to be heard not on an interaction that's going to be different from room to room between quiz masters absolutely so when i quizzed um both years that i went into went to internationals um we faced the same team from northeastern in Finals, finals one year, and then con finals the next year. And then when I came back to quizzing as as an official and a quiz master, I ran into um, the top quizzer from Northeastern again, and he was quiz mastering within, I think it was Metropolitan District, and we were just chatting about quiz mastering, and he very heavily defaults to not giving prompts, um, like using again and more extremely sparingly. And I think there's an enormous amount of merit and value to that. I think the prompts, correct, incorrect, um, what's your question and quote is complete on situation questions kind of have to be there. Um, I haven't thought about it at all though, but again and more, I think are almost unnecessary because if the quiz master has not said you are correct or you are incorrect, you have to get, you have to say more stuff. Like maybe it's fixing something. Maybe it's saying something you forgot, but I don't know how much help it really is for the quiz master to be using those words and you will get extreme variability across quiz masters and across districts where if the quiz master is just silent like it doesn't matter if the quizzer has to go back or has to go into the next verse or has to um, clarify a pronoun or finish the reference um, they just have to keep doing stuff to be counted correct and they have they have tons of information right they should know 
if maybe they're given the reference or maybe they've they know what verse they're in, but they know they're not yet right. And I think more often than not, that should be plenty of information, and any prompts by the quizmaster may actually cause more harm to a meet or a district as a whole than they help. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, with here, we are a bit over time, so we should probably close things out. And a reminder to everyone, please email us if you have any disagreements with anything that we've said, if you agree with anything that we've said, if you have questions about quizzing or anything whatsoever, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. Follow us on Twitter at InsideQuizzing. And that's it for episode uh, 26. Uh, Thanks, everybody. And thanks, Scott. Thanks, Griffin. See you, everyone, in uh, maybe a couple weeks for another podcast, and then soon after that for our district meet number two. Yay! All right, bye, everybody. <laughs>